I seem I seem to bring on all sorts of technical chaos whenever I get involved with technology with someone else. Ladies and gentlemen, the Microdance are an alt-rock new wave band from London here in the UK. Their album, New Waves of Hope, had it sold copies instead of being wildly torrented, mathematically could have set them on course for like a late 90s style alt-rock stardom. We're talking tours and big producers, perhaps even a US top 20 LP, followed by a well-crafted, though no doubt drug-infused sophomore. Instead, the group have suffered the same fate as many of their peers. They've been starved of funds and there's been lack of artist development and they've had to pivot and adapt and get day jobs to pay the bills. And that's meant two things. Number one, they're not getting the investment in big producers and videos that they might have done in a different decade. But number two, any creativity or rehearsal or gig or tour has to fit around the jobs and holiday rotors of like three or four separate individuals. Tonight, lead vocalist Alex Keevil joins me to discuss first-hand experience of a music industry still reeling from Napster and Pirate Bay while arguably sleeping with the enemy that is Spotify. I will pre-warn you that listening to this episode, we had some technical issues and there is a slight bit of sinking uh, that's, that's causing some discomfort <laughs> in some parts. I've worked hard to edit this to get it sounding a lot better than it previously was. Um, hopefully next time, next episode, things will be back to normal. Um, sometimes you get gremlins on these things. So it may sound very slightly uh, cluttered, I guess. It sounds a bit like me and Alex are talking over one another on occasion. I can assure you I definitely wasn't trying to interrupt him. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. And thank you once again to the microdancers Alex Keevil for joining me for this hour on a Friday night. This is episode 44 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. It normally takes like about a minute for YouTube to stop fucking around and telling me it's buffering and connecting and all that stuff, but it's literally gone straight through this time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 44 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. My guest this week, the one, the only, the songwriter and lead vocalist of the Microdance, Mr. Alex Keevil. Welcome. How's it going, man? Thank you. I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, not, not bad, thanks. Absolutely. I've got suspected COVID. Really? I'm the one that's uh, the only one that suspects it. It's not like the police are after me or something, you know. Yeah. What sort of symptoms have you got? Let's uh, let's touch on this quickly. I haven't got any. I'm a hypochondriac. Oh right. Well, yeah. For sake. My brother had like he sent me a picture of uh, three positive lat flow tests yesterday, saying like, "Whoa, this can't be good." And I was like, "Oh fuck!" So I was like immediately the concerned brother going like. Have you lost your like sense of smell? Like, are you, how are you feeling? And and then this morning he's just like, oh no no, it's just like my daughter's got it. But like us two have like, so he's he's unsymptomatic, n testing negative, and he's fucking sending me pictures of like. I mean, I feel bad like you know my niece. <laughs> I feel bad. But you're, not worried about, you're not worried about your niece, but you're worried about your brother, right? I'm, I'm I'm worried about all of them, but I do think it's it's a little bit like like what. Come on, man! Don't send me positive lat flow test results if you if you know that you don't have it. You bellend. Uh, well, I did. I did a couple of negative lat flows, but I don't. 
necessarily trust them. Go for a PCR, I think, is the yeah, is the thing. That's it. Um, I I I suppose I should start with a, a sort of a bit of background because like normally my guests on on the podcast are people that I've at least never met, but m- maybe a push might have spoken to a couple of times. Normally your guests are clever. Then they've been academics a lot recently. Yeah. No, I'm the least important guest you've ever had. <laughs> no, I've had comedians on there. They're lower down like the pecking order. Than... Um, Your own kind, right? Your own kind. Yes, yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, so I suppose, you know, just full disclosure and all that. Um, so you and I have known each other for, for must be... 25 years? Something like that, yeah. Doesn't that, yeah. Does that make you feel fucking old? Like, it's the sort of thing your old man Every, used to say. Everything makes me feel old. <laughs> Everything is pendulous now. Mm. I remember, but, you know, I'm not, like no details. I was trying to think earlier when the first time I met you was. I remember, I remember meeting you at a gig that we did in my my own like little band that we I had. Bleak. Bleak. But I'm not your friend anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking earlier. Oh, he's not going to no. sing like my old songs at me tonight, is it? Oh God. Like candle let it burn over me were... over my dead body i was like, man your band's called bleak <laughs> but it was a que at the end wasn't it yeah but only and that was before that was before you moved to east london yeah i know you're pretentious enough i was i still am i just hide it better now i hide it like beneath a veil of sort of comedic sardonic cynicalness um well you have to you have to when you've got two kids because those things are transferable through osmosis, you know, so. True. We don't want pretentious kids. No, but I, do you know what? I think it's it's going to happen. Be, it's going to happen. <laughs> it just is. Like, you know when, I, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have kids, right? Yet or no? Because no. it's been a while no, since we've spoken, so I didn't know if, like, you know, you might have a sprog knocked around somewhere by this point. But, um, but yeah, I, I think when you... I think when you've got kids and you can sort of sense that there's some layer of like creativity to them. And if you yourself have been a bit creative and a bit pretentious in your past, you start thinking, Oh God, (laughs) he's going to be like, yeah, but creativity and pretension aren't mutually inclusive. Are they? You can be one or the other. You told me that. It's best best Mm. to be both. I suppose if you're creative, you're pretending that you're good, which is a kind of, and amount to pretension i guess yeah i guess it's sort of whether you're doing it for the like perceived adulation like if you're doing it for the right reasons if you're being creative because you genuinely get a kick out of creating things and writing stories or like building out a chord progression or something that's i i think everyone that's everyone that's like genuinely creative and and kind of respectful and aspirational is doing it for the reason that they need adulation i think that i think that people say create art your own purpose create your own happiness but you know you want to put it out there into a sphere where other people can appreciate it and then that kind of um gives you the guidance about whether or not it's powerful Mm. enough because if you're happy with it so what there is that and I really admire people who can be creative and just create for the sake of pleasing themselves, for the, like the product that they're creating. 
but I think it I'm I'm probably too narcissistic to really be a uh, an artist with any credibility because I I do care like I would care if I if I bowed out now of tech and podcasting and everything else and I just went you know what I'm gonna lock myself in a cottage for a year and write my masterpiece album if I came out of that cottage a year later and people were like nah yeah it's it's all right yeah like I'd be devastated I'd be like. <laughs> But then again, on the flip side of that, there's the whole kind of, you know, the kind of not like you said, narcissistic thing of I don't give a shit what anyone says. Yeah, yeah. But then isn't that a front? Like, I always imagine that as being like, if you imagine somebody's psychology of having this massive canyon, like of emptiness in there. And so then what they do is they fill it with like they're, they're what's the phrase, like devoid of self. So they fill it with other shit like aren't I fucking amazing? Haven't I done this? I don't care what anyone thinks about me, it, but it's like a... Devoid of self, but full of ego, yeah. right? Which is a, a different spectrums of humanity. But like, I guess it depends on whether or not it's... You, the perception of your art is unilateral or exclusively one or exclusively other. If it's exclusively, you're no good, then you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. If you've got 10 people saying you're great and 90 people saying you're no good, then you're going to listen to the 10 people, right? Because they're telling you why you're great. And that is a great massage to the ego. And it's also a great um, a, a, a great um, engendering factor of actually pushing forward. Yeah. It's important for, for, for people to tell you why they like your produce. Because if they tell you why they like your your stuff and it's the same reasons that you like it or the same reasons that you want people to like it for, then you've actually got some kind of validation. And that's yeah. powerful. Then you might have 90, 90 other people saying, I don't like it because the guitars are too distorted or I don't like heavy metal vocals or it's not in the key of C major, which is you know indicative of everything these days being in the same key and the same tempo and whatever. So I think... If you can respect a minority opinion, which respect the opinion, but respect the people that are giving it to you, then that's the most powerful, the most yeah, powerful yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's something that sort of spans across. Um, fucking hell. Did you hear that? Is my mic picking that stuff up? It's like fireworks out the back. No, I think that was, yeah, they, they did. But there's no reason to say fucking hell about that because it's quite obvious that's going to happen. If there's a firework outside, your mic's going to pick well, it up, right? I don't know, mate. I've got like a limiter and a comp- I'm I'm hoping. Is it is it is it a condenser? Is it, condens- is it, it a condenser mic? Yes, it. Yeah, so it's going to pick. Well, it up. like it's supposed to wrap effects around it, so it only picks up like like when I talk into it, then the gate opens and then it starts recording. Is the idea? No, no, no. no you need a dynamic, you need a dynamic mic. It's oh, not going to work. It's evidenced by this last thirty <laughs> seconds. Well, I guess so. You know, I mean, we should start the podcast again then, and I'll just give it like a little. Uh, little warning little disclaimer like you will hear and you ask me some relevant questions you know that'd be a good sure, place to sure. start um well where i was going to start with so like where the first time that i remember you and i meeting was when i was doing a gig at this little sort of like church hall in maidenhead and uh Stuart, our mutual friend was our drummer and uh and then i think we met at a few parties like at his place and and dotted around um and then we sort of like I think you were living over in Camberley, weren't you? From memory, yeah. Yeah. And then 
I think you moved up to London at some point, um, and I was sort of loosely aware, like on on the periphery, that you were in your band and that things were going quite well. And I think I came down to see you a couple of times, it, like at Brick Lane and then somewhere else, maybe in Dalston. Somewhere um, in Kentish Town or something, didn't you? I may I have done. I remember being in the venue. I just don't remember I where re- it was. I we started with this on God's Joke and you posted, a, I think you posted a review about it and, and that was something you posted about it. So okay. that's kind of stuck because it's the only thing that started yeah, with that yeah. song. So. That sounds about right. Um, and then, and then I, I sort of became aware that things were going pretty well for you. And I suppose this is where, getting on to my first question of relevance, um, is it seemed to me from a, like an outsider's perspective as though you were in this band and you were writing these songs and you were you were gigging around pretty relentlessly um and then you had secured i don't know if you were signed at that point but you had i don't know like management and producers involved and then there was talk about you know did you fly off overseas to get it mixed and shit yeah but that wasn't that wasn't through the kind of um that was our own choice to do that we did that independently so it wasn't like someone like kind of funded that or pushed us to do it it was an independent decision but gladly we did because we worked with some amazing people yeah and it seemed Uh, like that was the sort of what what if it had taken place in the 90s or the early noughties would have been that sort of like oh shit they're blowing up or you know things things are about to get serious get real for you yeah well i think that also the other thing to consider is that Post 2000, the reception of, this is the way I phrase it, music with substance mm. has waned. Like no one is, you know, like in 2000, I can't remember, 2008, and you had this kind of um, deluge of British indie mm. bands and, 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 and it was like either identical bands i.e. they all sounded the same, or it was these bands whose music was just so uninspirational, so uninspired that mm. it left me dead. The kids were lapping it up. And that's because somehow along the way, the, the I hate the word grunge because it kind of implies that the music is grungy and it kind of sounds like it's badly played, but the, you had all these post-grunge bands. You had Creed and you had Puddle of Mud and whatever, so that whole thing had, dis- that whole thing mm. had disintegrated. In the same way that when all rock came out after heavy metal, which was a good thing, in England, this British indie came out to replace all rock. And that was a terrible thing. It was so uninspired. And um, and I think that was the start of it, because everything became either really homogenized or really obvious, you know, uh, and, and that's notwithstanding the fact that these 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 guys couldn't mm. play their instruments. They couldn't have interesting songs. Every, you know, you had albums where the longest song was four minutes and every song sounded the same. Yeah. And, and and so and, and, and like so really for me, there's been two interesting British bands. There's been a lot more than two interesting British bands, but there's been two interesting British bands who are in the public eye due to their given success. And that's Block Party, who I thought were great, and they sounded unique at the time, and the Joy yeah. Formidable who are an incredible band, but the, those guys got successful. I'm not sure about Block Pipe, but the Joy Formidable got successful by playing 150 shows mm. a year all around the world. And we didn't do that. You know, I, 
like I made stupid. We thought playing once a week in London was good, you know, and then we played Ipswich a couple of times. It was like we play a gig in London and you've got a load of pissed up people who are going to a club night that's only until three in the morning. They say, oh, you're the best band I've ever seen. And next week they go to the same club night and they say that to another band. Yeah. So, like, we... Like it, that you know, you kind of create your own chaos. Sure, sure. So, like, is it? It's your belief. You create your own chaos, so you you can't actually blame it all on external factors. We could have could have worked hard. Oh, hey man, hey, it's gone very blurry and very buffy. Yeah, I don't know if you're. It's um... not your fault if the signal's a little bit strange but um but yeah no i've got you back now carry on um can't remember another question <laughs> all right so um well i guess it would be interesting to get your your take on like what your journey what your trajectory has been like in the music industry over the last decade well the trajectory trajectory hard word to pronounce for me is um uh upward until a certain point, upward until 2015. So we recorded our album, New Ways of Hope, in Los Angeles in 2014. And it was a fantastic experience because Nicole Fiorentino, who was in the Smashing Pumpkins for five years, did backing vocals, and Eric Gardner, who drummed with Iggy Pop, Cypress Hill, Bomberello, Morrissey, Tegan and Sarah, played drums on the album. And then we came back and we had all sorts of opportunities presented to us. Like a West Coast American tour with Silver Sun Pickups, um, who are like one of my favorite bands to come out in the last 20 years or so. And then a, a, a cascade of anomalously dark stuff, which I'm not going to go into, happened, sure. which, precluded, which precluded us from gigging, let alone touring. So we were we were getting called the best alt rock in a decade by Vice magazine and Noisy magazine and and and, and all the massive publications were 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 just bigging us up on a massive level, and then this kind of um, catastrophe happened in my life, um, which prevented any um, progress with the band really, um, and, and so that for me was the the kind of killing point, and and, and ever since then. Things have either plateaued or or gone downward, and and speaking of music post two thousand, because that's what I say post two thousand is when it started to go to shit. Mm. Um, I could see the difference between two thousand eleven and two thousand and seventeen when the band picked up again after two thousand fifteen, and the difference was you might sell a hundred copies of your new single, you might sell. This is good, by the way, in 2015 to sell 10 copies of your new album on the first day. That is good if you're not signed to a major. Yeah. You know, if you're independent or signed to a small label, sell 10 copies of your new album on the first day. It's cause for celebration. Yeah. I saw the difference between 11 and 16. And so, therefore, we we skipped two and a half years later, and it was like we'd lost our spot on the landscape. Because, you know, inevitably, if you're not around for two and a half years, if you're on that kind of surface level or just above surface level of success, you don't have two and a half years just yeah. to, to lay dormant. You don't have that. You know, like if you're, you know, you can be Pearl Jam and not release an album for seven years. 
and then you're going to go on in the arena tour and it will go to number one in the States. But that's not the case. So that that's what happened. So it was it was downward. And we've been signed, I think, seven times now. Really? Yeah. How fucked is that? Because like, yeah. back in the day, when, when you're a sort of grungy kid from the home counties, the idea of being signed is like <laughs> fantastical. It's the dream. It's yeah. the dream. But the, the the problem is, Aid. The problem is, is that these days it's like everyone's got a fucking record label. So being right. like like you know, be in the same sense that like in the old days there was a filter system for music. You know, if you wanted John Peel to play your song, John Peel's producer would have to hear it. John Peel's um, I don't know, a system would have to hear it, It'd go through four or five people, then John Peel would hear it, and then John Peel would play it, or Steve Lamack, right? That was 1991, for instance, right? Then John Peel would play 30 songs in a week, 20 songs in a week, and they all got heard and they all got paid attention to. These days, everyone's signed to a record label. There's a, what, a billion songs released on Spotify every day? Yeah. A billion songs. That's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? A billion songs released on SoundCloud every day. And it's like people are just completely in other. There's, there's just a, 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 you know, like a, a, they're swamped with new material. And 99.9% of it is Drek. And so, therefore, the filter system has gone. And the fact that the filter system has gone actually has done the inverse of what people are saying about this new internet, like, gives everyone opportunity. It's done the opposite to that because it hasn't given people more opportunities. It's given people less opportunities because here's a thousand songs I posted on Facebook every day. My band's done this. And so, therefore, there's no opportunity there because you're, you know, you're swimming against the tide. And so you might be making the best music ever, but you've got just as much chance of being heard as that music as that guy making the worst music ever. Yeah, I mean, this was this was a sort of a point I was going to come on to a little bit later. Is we've we've entered this era, uh, and it's true across the entertainment spectrum, um, but it's uh, I suppose especially detrimental to it, like independent producers and and bands and and people who make quote unquote like proper music is that you know you've opened the floodgates yeah. to allow any tom dick and harry to bedroom produce with relatively cheap software um i don't know yeah yeah like a, a 10 track 10 track album and then upload it like you say to soft, uh, yeah. spotify or or soundcloud um and so anyone can do it but the the, the con to that pro is that anyone can fucking do it so now it just takes infinitely longer to weed through and try and find that one needle in the haystack and his yeah and who's gonna do that who's gonna well, it's worse through? than that no one because no like, one's gonna say somebody will find that needle in the haystack and they'll go oh no fucking, one... yeah i love that song that's great it's quite catchy yeah cool anyway yeah like <laughs> on to the next one yeah, how is Zane Lowe going to find it? Because Zane Lowe might, might, might find one needle in 10,000 haystacks. Then you've got the other 9,999 haystacks where he's not going to find the needle. So it's all proportionate, you know. So, like, it's, it's a bit like the old adage of, like, it's who you meet, it's where you are. Like, my friend Tom from My Vitriol. You know My Vitriol? You must yeah. remember them, like, 2001, really? like... 
they headlined Glastonbury. Like they, he was nineteen, he was nineteen, and right. then they had he met Steve Lamac at an after party for I don't know, maybe it was a um, oh, what's the band's name? Not important. He met Steve Lamac at an after party, handed him a cassette. Next thing you know, Steve Lamac's playing him on Radio One, yeah. and he's signed a massive record contract, and and that. That is a needle in the haystack situation, but Steve Lamac didn't need to go yeah. to the haystack. You know, and the needle was brought to him, and the haystack was Yeah, and I suppose if you so... are a Steve Lamac or a John Peel and you've got your assistant and researchers and so on, you actually spend probably significantly less time wading through all of the nonsense because you've got, you know, three, four, five staff ready to tell you, like, this is great, listen to this one. You don't spend any time because yeah. it's beneath your level of interest. You don't. Like, for example, I met Daniel P. Thompson, who's the who's the host of the Radio One Rock Show. I met him at the Smashing Pumpkins album release event, show, whatever you want to call it. And there was thirty people in a room, and him and I got chatting. And the guy from Sonos was there, and the guy, him and the guy from Sonos were buying me drinks all night. He was like, "Oh man, the microphones have known about you guys for years, right?" And then he said to me, have you got a CD, your new album, which was due to come out? I said, no. And he said, all right, mate. <laughs> See you later. So then I messaged him on Instagram. And yeah. what, three years later, he's not read the message. So good luck with that. You know, if I had a CD, God knows what could have happened. So, yeah. So they're not going to bother sift. They're not even going to bother reading their Instagram messages, let alone sift through a, a, a thousand things that sent to them, which, which leads me onto the subject of all these scams going around you know you see these agencies it's like you know pitching to playlists sucks you know give us your song and we'll give it to a hundred music influencers and it's like so what are you going to do give them a thousand songs a day and expect them to listen to it you know scam, so that's that not going to happen sense that they would do that mate, mate it's rife it's rife Playlist scams, you know, we can get you on radio scams. It's like no one should pay a hundred quid to get onto a playlist. And and the problem with those things are is you're getting onto a playlist and no one's listening to you. Bots are listening to you. So your Spotify plays go up massively, your YouTube plays go up massively, and then when the campaign is over, no yeah. fan retention it's at all the because there was like no the, fans. I don't know if you it saw was a the, bot. Um, this guy you know, did an expose. Uh, on facebook ads and he basically tested it like he he bought you know 50 pound worth of credit yeah. here and a hundred dollars worth of credit there and then it was supposed to be targeted a bit like cambridge analytica but just with like commercial adver advertising and uh his analysis his conclusion from it he was like facebook can't admit that this is as problematic as it is because to do that, they would have to cough up like refunds to huge multinational companies who have paid them millions of dollars to run like advertising campaigns. But really, like the, the stats that he came out with, he was like, well, basically what it is, is huge bot farms in like, if you look at where the traffic is coming from, where these likes are coming from and these. Right. East and Asia and Asia and, and, and like. That bring that that actually brings it back to the scams that you didn't know existed. For instance, there's this in indiepreneur, it's called, right? And this guy will post ten videos a week on Instagram about how indie indiepreneur is the way to go about marketing yourself on Facebook. It's all predicated on advertising. 
And then you pay seven quid for the basic course, then you pay 30 quid, then you pay 100 quid, blah, blah, blah. So I did the course. I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. It was locked down. I had my new album coming outside. And what you do is you kind of, you find a band and you find the other bands that those bands of those bands are into and then you advertise to those. And it's this kind of, it's like a kind of satellite system of who you advertise to. And I was like, then you've got what are called the green light regions, which is the UK, Ireland, America, right. Canada, Australia, basically English speaking country. You do it. You start with a fiver and a fiver will get you 10,000 views right, <laughs> of yeah. your advert or post or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and then you go back and there's like 800 views and 787 of them are from 70-year-olds yeah. in Afghanistan who were fans of Britney Spears. And I'm not criticizing, you know, old people in Afghanistan who are fans of Britney Spears, but they're not the, the target audience for your music. You know, you may as well play a gig in front of a crowd full of Diana Ross fans. Yeah. I love Diana. I love Diana Ross, but I'm that's not my audience you know and but yeah. then but then you're paying for that and you're paying for that and, and the thing is like people are desperate anyone that makes music anyone that makes art is desperate and you are going to get exploited for your desperation you're going to get exploited for it so um that that's that and and what that does is that kind of narrows down the bargaining of how you can be successful because you, because the actually avenues to success have, have narrowed down so much to where it's almost yeah luck you know this avenue of success is closed down this one's closed down this one's and there's all these new avenues of success because you've got you know you've got um the potential contact with I don't know, a billion, however many people are on Facebook or whatever, but it's not, yeah. it's not, it's fake. It's, it's all fake. It's sort of deviated a, a, a fake. long way from its promise, hasn't it? In terms of this, like this idea that you could um, open up your laptop and you, Alex Keevil, will now have access to, like direct access to your fans and you can get your music listened to and heard by, you know, historically you'd be at the mercy of get the it. British public buying your records. Well, now you can get your music heard by people in fucking Zambia and all over. Wow, isn't the internet great? But... Don't mind that. That's like, the, like, for example, I... I, I... My 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 Spotify plays and listeners are risible. They're they're just laughably bad. I won't even go into them because you'll be like, what the hell? I mean, um, and I like going on Spotify and looking at the analytics and saying that someone in Mon like three people in Mongolia have listened to my music this week. That's fantastic. To think that someone in their bedroom or in their yeah. car or with their friends at a party is listening to the microdots. That's amazing. It doesn't go to say that you're going to target your more no. your your music to Mongolians exclusively now, though. So it's a it's a double it's a double edged sword. But um, basically, unless you tour and put yourself out to new people every day, face to face, put it in their faces so they can't ignore it. You're at a gig and the band's playing at 200 decibels. You can't ignore it. You know, that's what Metallica did. Metallica started off playing and everybody they could hear the glasses clinking and they could hear people chanting where they were turn the amps up. Turn the amps up and then we got to the end of it a year later, no one could ignore us. That's what you have to do. 
you know, like if someone comes to a gig and it's a visceral experience, it's a visceral experience and you but then tear even, their even heart then, out, they're not going to forget From you. my sort of outsider's perspective of the music industry and touring and how that business works and Spotify and royalties, and it seems to me like you could tour and like you could do 160 shows a year. You said your your the other band did, um, but it's isn't it a bit like what's what's the fucking point if you you could tour that much and then at the end of it you you're not selling albums like people are just streaming. I be a bit on a smaller level, right? You become aware of the finitude of things, right? You become all stalls, right. everything going forward. So the what's the fucking point thing is something that I can relate to because it's like I've got 300 songs, right? I could write you five songs every day that I'm confident you, I'm not saying anyone, I'm confident you would say to me, Alex, those are great songs, right? And I'm sat in there, my little music room with my pedals plugged in. This new pedal, yeah. by the way, is beautiful. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug the company out. Um that one. I'm not gonna say what it is, but um and I'm like, it's exactly what you said. What is the point of plugging the microphone in and going through all the effort and demoing this song 57 times and recording it and doing 57 different mixes and attenuating like 1K on the vocal by two decibels <laughs> and putting that specific reverb on that? What is yeah. the fucking point? Because, and it's the same thing with the touring, but then again, at some point, you've got to have faith in your convictions, because if you don't have faith in your convictions, then you're suppose... never going to do anything. And that's an important. That, I mean, that's a life thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't. And that's a mental health. But that's that's a mental health thing, right? That's a, but that's cause that's topic for another podcast of yours. But mental health has played a massive, massive role in my kind of stagnancy. And I say relative stagnancy because yeah. I could be releasing 100 songs a year. I could do it easily with no cost. I could record 100 songs a year on this 1927 gas-powered uh, digital <laughs> age. They had digital technology in 1927. Yeah. Anyway, no, they don't. You know what I mean? I could do that. And then, and then you've got like, then you've got the whole argument that you're, you are the creator of your own chaos, Right. And and I was watching this Jordan Peterson the other thing the other day, and and I like Jordan Peterson, and I don't think he's transphobic. I think he's extremely extremely smart, and people that watch him and say he's this, he's that are being reductive. But he he basically said that harsh times or difficulties in life, the real tragedy is letting those corrupt you. The tragedy isn't the things that happen. Right. The tragedy is being corrupted by those things, right? And so. So therefore, you could say, well, I went on tour, didn't sell any records, didn't garner any new fans, whatever. That's going to fuck me up. That's the tragedy. That's the tragedy that you go away with that attitude, not what happened. Because actually, like I said to you when I was asking you if we were broadcasting, and I didn't know because I was saying all sorts of obstreperous no. things. <laughs> were we broadcasting? I don't know. You create your, you, you create your own chaos. And believe me, and I say chaos in the broadest sense. I don't mean chaos as in like entropy, and um, I mean yeah. chaos as in like badness. 
and and, and you do and, and, and like so you start blaming external factors and um uh, but, you're, it, it, but you could say that mental health problems are an external factor because you're not in control of them like you know for example jonah he got chucked over whatever that boat was called if you got christian watchers they'll know whatever i, thought, I don't know but I you know i like an analogy because story it, i wasn't basically... familiar with or some shit i was like jonah hill or <laughs> Some idiot from the first yeah. testament. He's probably in the second testament as well, but um basically volunteered to be chucked over the the the, yeah, the, the, the boat. Um right. and, and then he got swallowed by a whale. <laughs> this is a true story, by the way. He got swallowed by a whale. Yeah. Right. And then when he was in the whale's stomach, he was like, This was my own doing. <laughs> but was he depressed? And if he was depressed, was it his own thing? Uh, probably not, because depression is like an external thing which invades you, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Well, there is, right. there are but things you can do like about the, the real, it, but they're very, very difficult. So it's like it's only if he allows so, being swallowed by the whale to affect him. <laughs> if he doesn't, if you. That's the. No, but the point is, by the time he had been swallowed by the whale, that's when he was corrupted by his experiences. Because he was like, I've been thrown overboard, and now that's I've been swallowed day. by a fucking yeah. whale. Like, woe betide me. So, but, but, I, yeah. but, I, but I mean, you, I would, I would go, I would go to say that people who are successful, and that doesn't include me, by the way. Like, it, you're talking to me as if I'm successful. Like, I've got Alex Kubel from the Microsoft. So people that are successful probably take. I don't know, 99.9% of their advances are rejected, okay? That's not the case with my band. That's not the case with my yeah. Right from the start, when the Micronauts started making music, we were signed. Just so happens that they were wankers running the record labels, you know. <laughs> that doesn't include you, Jason, yeah. the last label we were signed to. Somewhere called, they does were it, great. Does it bother you um, when... Cause there's, um, there's... Sorry, carry on. So... so uh, I was just going to say, like, no. does it does it bother you when I lost um, the anyway. you voice uh, not concerns, but you you sort of express your feelings about the music industry and and the frustrations um, of working within it and how streaming has changed things and and all these scams and stuff and um, and then people come back with a sort of retort like, well, you know, you can still make money on. Say again. Stop complaining. Well, no, no. Like they, they Stop might sort of dismiss it. Like, well, you know, uh, Ed Sheeran's making money, or you know, Adele's doing all right, or or you know, you just need to tour more or sell more merch, and you know, there's a real sort of dismissive attitude to it. In in the response to that is, well, I've been so fucking beaten down that I can't do that, and and and. And and it it was hilarious, right? I, I, this guy, I've got he's got no place in my life anymore. He's a coffee shop across the road, right? And I would go and buy an oat latte off him every day for three pounds seventy, right? And he would complain all day every day about how difficult it was making eight hundred percent profit on his oat lattes, right? And then I, I mean seriously, and then I posted on Facebook. It wasn't it wasn't complaintive message it was factual if you're giving facts you're not complaining right so i was like this 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 a load of numbers and figures and he responded with you're whinging it's not a good look and i thought fuck you 
you used to complain to me about running a coffee shop where you would make, I don't know, £3.30 on every £3.70 latte you made. And I've paid £600 for every single song, £800 for every single song on this album. Uh, and and six years later, I've made £200 back from an album that cost $15,000 to make, and I've got no reason to complain. thing is, I'm not complaining. I'm trying to enlighten people because you get people... <laughs> You get people posting on Facebook, yeah. like music has saved my life. You know, music is the most important thing to me, and like it gets like a thousand likes. Everyone's like, "Hurrah!" And it's like that is the case, but you're not buying music and you're not supporting those artists. You might still be buying Slow mm. Dive on My Bloody Valentine, who bands love, but like Slow Dive will release a 30 year anniversary on vinyl, an album that was released in 1991 for 60 quid. Right. Yeah. And it will sell out in a day. I'll release something new. I'll post it in a all rock or shoegaze, whatever. It'll get one like, and someone will share a SoundCloud link. And I'm like, thanks. Why don't you buy my album rather than buying that slow dive album that you've already bought 18 times yeah. and you've got 17, 16 CDs of and two vinyls? And guess what? The new vinyl sounds exactly the same as the others, apart from it's been remastered, you, which like, just means I, I you need to turn you, the other um, ones up a little bit. Uh, you posted you know, something so... about a guy. It's always stuck with me. This there was wasn't there a guy who was saying how like bands that have saved my life, bands that I I fucking love, and he named your band, uh, but he hadn't, hadn't fucking bought any of your stuff off Bandcamp, and then in his picture he was like wearing like designer gear, yeah, and don't... you were like. I mean, seriously, like, what the fuck, bro? Well, I get this, Aid. Get this right. I get people on Instagram. There's people I've never met. People in Toronto or, I don't know, Tokyo saying, like, God, I love your music so much. When are you coming to Tokyo? And I'm like, the thing is, I self-release my music, so I know who's bought it, right? You haven't bought it. So how would you expect yeah. me to be able to afford a flight to fucking Tokyo to play for, for um, 10,000 yen, you know, uh, on the door, yeah, which I made 5p from? And it's like, well, you know, I'm streaming on Spotify. Oh, thanks for yeah. giving me 0 0.06 pence per play. Thanks for that. Thanks for giving me 1,000 plays for 60p. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'm coming to Tokyo on that. Because unless you're making money outside of music when you're making music which which i'm not i'm, I'm just not I'm, I'm basically fucked in the head so like my whole life is down the toilet um the well, truth, you but that's one for an another another one for an episode right uh, in front of you no i do i've thought that before i've i've had i've had people laughing a lot with silly things um which are just kind of well, self-generated yeah, like switch I mean, your brain off kind of thoughts which i think is yeah yeah things but anyway but back, back to your point back right point. i've lost no oh, no i thought i lost people, audio there. sorry carry on what's that people aren't putting their money where their mouth is and and that's that's the problem P people saying i support music i love music support acts and they're not buying it is the same as someone posting a ricky gervais meme of like those who hurt animals are cunts right right and then they yeah. go and buy kfc it's like 
you know how those chickens were killed? Do you know how much suffering they went through to give you that two minutes of pleasure? I'm not adverse to people eating meat, but don't eat meat. Like that's killed in that way, and then post on Facebook about how yeah. anyone that hurts an animal is a cunt. Because what are you talking about? Yeah. Like whipping, like uh, punching a dog. Is punching a dog worse than cutting a chicken's beak off, electrocuting it, boiling it, plucking its feathers out before it's dead so you can eat it for one minute's gratification? Yeah. No, it's not. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just that the. It, so it, I, I'm. I think when it comes to um, consumption of art, I, I think there's a, a real sense of inanity about it. I think everyone is so inane, but that comes from a lack of understanding, and then that goes that goes back. Hold on, my phone. Sweet, oh, my phone has to get us through. It's on thirteen percent. Um, by the I, way, I think so. it's it's. It's it's just unfortunate. <laughs> like one one of the reasons I think people are so averse to paying for music now is because when the technology came about to be able to share files pretty seamlessly, um, and Napster blew up, uh, people like myself, admittedly, we were like, "Holy shit! I can get my hands on like bootleg stuff that I've never fucking heard before." There was like Nirvana. I was a huge Nirvana fanboy, as you know, and uh, there were like tracks i'd never fucking heard before that were on napster i was like i'll have that i'll have that it's great which is great but if you were at reading festival like i was at 95 and the pumpkin sound garden pearl jam with neil young like you know the mirrorball thing and they had these cd yeah. stores and you could get these bootleg things it's like whoa this is a live gig the pumpkins played in 1902 i've never heard this song that was amazing. But the thing, the thing about the problem that we've got now is what you've just said is, is actually microcosmic of the problem. The problem has gone beyond people downloading music because people yeah. don't download music anymore. People don't care about music. And, and like, the, like uh, my analogy is this, right? You've got a thousand pounds to spend on leisure stuff, right? Say a thousand pounds is your phone and your phone tariff for twelve months or whatever. That's a thousand pounds. So there's a digital amusement arcade. And when I say digital, I don't mean yeah. that games are digital. I mean you're in a digital realm, right? You pay a thousand pounds, right? And you've got your face swap app, you've got Snapchat, you've got your ability to post you dancing to a yeah. stupid song with a trifle on your head to TikTok, right? And you've and you've and you've got numerous apps and numerous games, and then you've got a music. So what you're going to do is you're going to walk over to the music thing, and you're going to put your headphones in, and you're like, two minutes later, I'm going back to the yeah. face swap. I'm going to go back and post banal, inane things on TikTok. So basically, music has become like part of like a digital wallpaper. So it's no longer this thing which is consumed and, and appreciated. Like, what, I'm still releasing 70-minute albums, <laughs> but, like, Adrian. I had a chat Why? with a guy, a comedian who was on a few episodes ago, and uh, we were talking about whether the product of albums and whether the pro like the days of re like an OK computer or a Nevermind or whatever. Um, I, I tell you who could. Right. I tell you who could. Nirvana. 
And the reason Nirvana yeah. could is because 10% of their songs were pop songs. In Bloom, in, you know, you've got In Bloom, you've got Smells Like Teens, yeah. but they are pop songs. They're three-minute pop songs. And they're fantastic songs. What you'd have to do is clean it up a little bit, make the mix a little bit less muddy and, and, and master it so it's all glossy and probably change the key of the song and the tempo so it's the same key and tempo as every other song. They, they could. Uh, could. Could Pearl Jam? I don't think so because what were yeah. their two biggest hits? Uh, Alive, Jeremy and Evenflow. All three of those songs are five minutes. All three of those songs have got guitar solos. If you have a guitar solo in your song and it's five minutes long, Forget it. Absolutely forget it. You know, because for a long time, I believe that people weren't interested in music with emotional substance. I still don't think they are. I think people were interested in gimmicks. And I hate to say this, and I don't mean this in a discreditory manner at all, but Smells Like Teen Spirit could be construed as a gimmick. that. It's like the It's like the, it's yeah. it's like you know it's it's an anthem, it, but, but live by Pearl Jam isn't you know and and so it's gimmicks give something ten seconds and there's this thing about um, songs I think the Beatles were the ones that started doing it maybe the Beach Boys I I don't know someone around the sixties right. starting songs with the chorus. I don't listen to I don't listen to mainstream I haven't listened to mainstream radio since I moved to London in 2006 every so often I'm exposed yeah. to it and it's it's brutal <laughs> it's like I'll be in a garret somewhere and I, I don't know and and, uh, and every song is in the same key is in the same tempo maybe it's C major probably C major same song same key same tempo same 18 producers that made it sound all glossy and nice right so every so often there's an outlier every so often there's an outlier for example since things have got really bad who's who's the outlier i don't yeah. know maybe biffy pyro or something yeah right you know Kings of Leon became successful when they started making pop music. No one cared about the country, you know, the kind of country-infused stuff. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, like, yeah, one of the totally. things I was saying to my mate a few episodes ago was, like, I think it will actually, like, the pendulum will swing the other way. I think at the moment there is this sort of over-reliance on singles and gimmicks and, and, and like you said, like the, the same sort of five, six producers churning out the same kind of sound constantly. But with that, kind of that that drudge and sameness comes this sort of opportunity this crack in the door for a less commercial more like quote like real more muddy more you need something innovative to do that you need something to come out and and, and smash people in the chest for in order for that to happen you know like the reason i don't think it's going to happen and this is Something that I believe Darwin would have said, and if he didn't, I'm going to credit credit to him anyway, um, is that you cannot fuck a cultural shift. You cannot. You, there's nothing you can do. So, like, in the same way that, like, for example, when television became a thing, you're saying to kids, this is rubbish, go to the theatre. And they're like, nah, I can sit on my sofa and watch this. In the same way that kids these days is like, nah, I'm not going to down... I'm, download by whatever i'm not going to listen to that 70 minute album because i can listen to these 
11 three-minute songs by these 11 people that I heard on whatever channel people are listening, channel, platform, people are listening to stuff now. So I, I don't think it's going to change. I don't, I don't think, I think maybe a, 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 a group of uh, progressive-leaning young people who make up a, a, a severe minority might go yeah. in that direction. I think there'll always be room for it, but I don't think the room will be enough to make a, a cultural, like a, like a, you know, like a holistic cultural shift. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, forget it. I think it's gone. <laughs> so what friend no, said I think he was, was in the same camp as you. It was me that was saying like, like, wouldn't it be great if, if somebody came out now and they were just like, you can't get my shit on Spotify. It's just, it is hard copy because it's a real product. It's a conceptual album. Nothing's come out like this for like 20 years. Well, let me give you an example of, of exactly that. The, the music that I've been most enthusiastic about oh, really? for the last five years is black metal. But it like, there's some absolutely, spe- I'm, I'm telling you, say, man, like, after this, I'll, like, I'll, I'll point know. you in the direction. Uh, I'm not talking, and the shoegaze is a fucking joke. <laughs> Shoe, you've changed the subject, but this is something I'm really passionate about. Right, I'm right. a member of shoegaze groups on Facebook, right, because I think they're a target for my audience. They hate the micro dance. They're like, oh, the guitars are too heavy. That sounds like heavy metal. And I'm like, so I don't sound like one of these identical bands who's got all the right pedals but no songs, right? Every single day, Ringo Death Star, were nothing. Like three of the most overrated bands ever. 18,000 people will post about them and they'll all get 100,000 likes. Today, I love my value Antonio. Today, I saw literally 100 people post on Facebook about Loveless being 30 years old today, right? So that the, the, you've got these shoegaze elitists and... and and the problem with shoegaze is it's become a parody of itself. It's become a, like slow dive. I love. I couldn't listen to a whole slow dive album because every song sounds the fucking same. But I love my Bernie Valentine. Slow dive. We've got some great songs. Ride. have got a couple of great songs. But like, how could you go through your life listening? If I wanted to hear twelve <laughs> songs that sound the same, I'd listen to the same song twelve times. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. I wouldn't put an album on and be subjected to that. So, um, okay. no shoegaze. No, absolutely not. When the Micronauts were first labelled as the shoegaze band, I thought, oh, this is cool. Shoegaze is the thing. You know, I love. You know, I I didn't realise that I listened to shoegaze when I was ten years old. Yeah. I didn't realise that I thought this new thing, shoegaze. You know, and I was like, oh, hold on, these guys when I was ten. No black metal. And and going back to your point about black metal is that I'm, I'm telling you the black metal bands that I like are peak, peak material. And, and most of them are conceptual. They might be about friends and family that have died. They might be about Satan, behemoth, the Satanist. That's a fantastic album because right. Nurgle, the front man was told that he had six months to live. Lukita, four months later, he beat it. And then he he wrote one of the most powerful passages, lyrical, the vocal passage ever. He wrote that on his deathbed when he'd been told the hour, a, a day to live. And uh, so he came back with this brutal, uh, simplistic for them album called The Satanist. And his 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 worship for Satan, which a lot of people misunderstand Satanism, was just like amplified by hunger. And you've got this album and it's phenomenal. But the point I was making is that these bands are selling 5,000 vinyl. 
you give you give an alternative rock band or a, um, a you know like a, a whatever what do you call them uh, underground band the chance to sell ten thousand vinyl and they will go crazy. If they sold ten vinyl, they'd be happy. But these black metal labels, they'll put digital stuff up, ah. and you have to pay ten thousand pounds for a digital album. And that's basically, that's basically, and this is this is buying digital music as if that's a bad thing. I'm like, if people would buy my music digitally, that would be amazing. But they're like, no, buy the vinyl, buy the CD, buy the vinyl yeah. for twenty quid, buy the CD for ten quid, or sleep for ten thousand. Yeah. Not they don't put it on Spotify. So that that's a market. That's that real market. And the reason that's a market is because it's predicated on people that are supremely but there's passionate no and like, loyal wrong, and artisan. No you couldn't transfer Lord. that same model into like the alt rock or or shoegaze, forgive me, um, or like any any other sort of guitar based genre because it's so rooted in subculture and belonging to a scene and you know it's not like it's not rooted in subconscious because smashing pumpkins sold 10 million copies of melancholy so, what well, how many copies yeah. of nevermind have sold now 20 million so then the, the subculture, subculture element of it gets diluted well, and that means the yeah, appreciation well, gets so diluted and the power million gets or 10 million sales we're talking about like 1992 93 but what i'm talking about now is the same sort of model as what you were saying with black metal that you, you know you might not sell 10 million or 20 million and then bleed outside of that subculture but in order to sell 2000 or 10000 copies of the vinyl of the microdance is there an option for you to maybe explore something like that and just say no and i tell you i tell you why there isn't because if you if you get involved or you you know you're in these facebook groups that, that you go on to someone is a frequent poster on a black metal group, or it's just a poster. You go look at their Facebook profile. Every single picture of them right. is wearing corpse paint or wearing a black metal T-shirt. Uh, every single micro dance like fan or liker of isn't going to be wearing a Smashing Pumpkins T-shirt, a, a Soundgarden T-shirt, a Silver Sun pickups T-shirt, a Joy. That not every picture. These people yeah. are obsessively committed to it, and, and that. Because that's because they feel like outliers in society. Alternative rock became a misnomer. And it became a misnomer because it was no longer alternative. It was mainstream. How yeah, can someone well, that's selling that 10 million of, copies well, be alternative? Of, of Kurt Cobain and um, perhaps to a lesser, well, actually, maybe to a greater extent, Pearl Jam, was that they started off as these sort of um, uh, like outcast and, you know, bullied in school and, and all that sort of stuff. And then they ended up being the kind of music that, yuppies would listen to in their convertibles on their way to the office kind of thing right yeah but but that's that that's that's just what happens isn't it when you make something which is marketable then you you the whole kind of have you the whole human have you ever condition been tempted to go to some to sort it, of like gorilla you know, marketing like, shit like you know to to throw some sort of like rock star tantrum get arrested get in the enemy as a result of it and then <laughs> i don't need to get arrested that's another story um uh I I um I thought about doing yeah, funny it. stuff, which I'm not going to tell you now because I might still do it. <laughs> I, I think at some point you do need to go a bit gorilla with things. You have to because you need to be outside this. If you're outside the spectrum of normality and you're in people's peripheral vision, the minute you do something, you will no longer be in their yeah. peripheral vision. You'll come into their kind of foresight. Yes, I have. I have considered so those think- things, but. 
Um, yeah. If they don't, I, I think if they don't work, you end up like, looking sometimes stupid. I think people like a story as much as they like the music. Like if there's a story behind the music, and I don't even necessarily mean in in terms of the you know oh I wrote a ballad and it's really about this girl that I used to know because then you get a real like emotional uptick you're like wow this is really about something but I mean like in terms of your like your band and you as a person if there's some stuff it's like I'm, I always go back to the Manic Street Preachers when I, I think about this sort of stuff because it's like would the Manic Street Preachers have been as big as they were in the mid 90s if their fella hadn't fucking vanished off the face of the earth like people like i'm not doubting it's a tragedy it's a horrible thing to have happened for that guy and his family but commercially for them i know this sounds really insensitive but it's true that there's an angle and it's true same Cobain. If Cobain no, no committed way. suicide would nirvana be who they are now i, I don't think that they might they might have continued making music. Well, Michael, I... You know, they wouldn't be... They would, I don't think he would have remained like a sort of artsy, avant-garde rock figure. He'd be like Elton John is now, you know? I think he would have done because he hated the concept of popularity and he hated the concept of fame. And I, and I think that was actually something that was instilled deeply within him. Like, for example, look at Neil Young. Neil Young, like, did you ever hear no. the song Hitchhiker by Neil Young that was released like 10 years ago? It's my favourite Neil Young song. It's phenomenal. That guy never lost his integrity. David Bowie never lost his integrity. So that, I, I don't think Kirk, Kirk Cobain's, in my opinion, not on the same level as Neil Young or David Bowie, but I don't think he would have lost his integrity. Has Eddie Vedder? I mean, the last three, four Pearl Jam albums have been bad, no, in my opinion. But no, I don't he think hasn't he's done lost anything his integrity. that's made me think, oh, God. Eddie, like, and I would just still go and see them for sure. I would 100%, apart from the fact that he's now like Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Lovable, which could be a gimmick because if you knew yeah. him in real life, yeah, there is that. he might be an arsehole. I don't know. You know? Like, I think you look at somebody like Kurt Cobain when he was still alive, you know, 26 and 27 years old, like that, la the last couple of years of his life, and he's super miserable and he's hooked, irreparably addicted to heroin. Um, and his marriage is sort of apparently falling apart and, and all this shit. What, that his Billy marriage Corbin's fell apart? Fault. Billy Corbin's fault. I've heard this, yeah. but I don't know what, yeah, affair with Billy Corbin, what substance she? there is to it. That's what the heart-shaped box is about. She had a heart-shaped box under her bed, oh, or their right. bed, with letters you from Billy Corbin. So that's what it's about. Lack of uh, Nirvana trivia here. Uh, you're showing me up yeah. for my well, complete this is, this geekdom towards the Smashing Pumpkins. Our loves cross over. <laughs> but, um, a little bit. Uh, but I look at somebody like that and I think that like a big part of maturing as as a man is looking at the people that you used to idolize back in the day who could new, do no wrong. Like it was almost a sort of religious thing being a Nirvana fan back in like the late 90s um, after he'd killed himself. Um, and, and looking back at those individuals yeah. and then going like, yeah, I, I don't agree with that or I don't think he was on point. You know, like you, you, you reach a level of objectiveness and, you know. It's a bit like look, the guy in his convertible Ferrari and worshipping, but not knowing that he, the next thing he wants to do is wrap a right, drive yeah. at 140 miles an hour into the nearest lamppost. It's all like, it's all yeah, perception. Yeah. And it's a very superficial perception. But, you know, Kurt Cobain, but you really don't want to be Kurt Cobain. You really don't want to be Lane Staley. I mean, if you listen to Lane Staley's lyrics, you know, Nutshell or, mm. or Three Quarters of Dirt, um, he's outwardly saying, overtly saying, 
if I can't be a heroin addict, I don't want to live. And then yeah. in the later material, he was saying, well, I want to fucking die. Yeah. But there's so this sort of romance to it, isn't there? And I definitely, like, let's say in some fantastical universe that Bleak, in all their awesomeness, that somebody had... Sega? It's good, man. I still remember those songs. <laughs> I, I sing them to Stuart, and he's like, how can you remember that, man? But a candle, let it burn wow. over me over my dead body. I was like, man, that's stuck. You're not my friend. <laughs> you're not my friend yeah, anymore. I've said that to Stuart uh, enough times. Well, you know? you, I guess you're you're our longest. You know, there's there's real fandom there, and I'm appreciative of that long term fandom. Yeah, one appreciative yeah. listener is is more important than ten people who think it's okay, and and that's what I truly believe. Like like my albums reviews, and the people who appreciate my music, they they come at it when they compliment it from an angle that I would come towards music that I compliment, which is like saying things like one minute you're making the air heavy, the next minute you're shattering my bones. And it's like they talk about textures and atmospheres and what you're doing to them and you're freezing their heart, you're setting their heart. That is amazing. That is a hundred times more powerful than 10,000 people saying your songs are banger. Yeah. I mean, what does banger even mean? Like, I'm like, if you want, if you want to hear a banger, listen to Terra Tenebrosa. I will send you a song called Fire Dances by Terra Tenebrosa, who are an avant-garde black metal band. It's a 17-minute song. That is a banger. But no, but the, importantly, it's people uh, uh, like having an in-depth appreciation of your music. It's like the thing that's kind of kept me going at points. It's like I, I'm just I'm packing this in. I had eight listeners on Spotify yesterday, <laughs> and four of them were me. You know, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I sold 12, between me and the record label, uh, we sold 23 CDs of our last album. And then I'm like, seriously, man, I'm done with this. But I can't be done with it because I, I just can't. But then all of a sudden someone will send yeah. me a review they've written about it. And I, I'm like, I think people That's really a really important this, point to, to make. People is really that, get this. Uh, there, There's something, I, I don't think, and it, this is going to sound incredibly pretentious, but hopefully it's taken in the spirit with which it is intended. But yeah, but I feel like people who Welcome are not creative by nature um, will have a hard time understanding this. But when you are somebody who is creative, uh, you don't really have a choice in whether you jack it in. And I know I'm, you know, I was sort of cynically saying earlier, like, oh, you know, well, don't you ever get to the point where you're like, what's the fucking point? But actually the truth is you don't have a choice in, because it, like, it, even if you did have an off day where you threw in the towel, you're like, fuck this shit. You pack away all your pedals, you go out with your mates and you get loaded, then you come back. The next day you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, fuck, I've got an yeah. idea. That's exactly what exactly what happened so one of the reasons i got into comedy was because i had done music for a long time since i was like 14 i'd been writing songs and uh i got to a point i guess in my like i was about 28 29 i just split up with my then girlfriend and i just had this sort of feeling that i, I, I wouldn't be taken seriously when i was like over 30 doing the sort of music that i was doing which at that time was like hip-hop 
and uh, like sort of backpack of funny hip hop. And so I just thought, but like it's like com- comedy, stand up comedy is sort of timeless. Like you can still be a stand up comedian when you're like 53 or whatever. Like nobody gives a fuck as long as you're funny and you're telling funny stories. It's one of yeah. those things. And I felt like it would there, still give no me the, like, the, the feeling of like performing right? and, and like, being listened to. And, you know, if there is an element of narcissism in my brain, then it, it, it satisfies that. Hey, there definitely is. I've known you for 25 years. I know <laughs> you shift from one just, thing to another. And it's like, I need that attention. Yeah. This is why you're doing this podcast. Yeah. I saw you, I saw you in Leicester Square. Thank Leicester you, Square or Pick, Pick. You were fucking hilarious, man. Your, your stand-up show was amazing. Well, it's fatherhood. But really, then you yeah. shifted from that to having a podcast. Well, because, I just want to be able to do something that's creative. And like... Like, like, I mean, like I was saying before, like you wake up in the morning and you just you have an urge to do something uh, or to express yourself. And I suppose fundamentally, if we're going to get really pretentious about it, it's really about standing there and expressing or um, excreting even like a sort of like who you are as a person and how you feel about things and then having someone else go fuck i feel the same way i know exactly how you feel like that sort of that feeling that you were talking about a minute ago where like somebody will say i like that song that you wrote really you know it shattered my heart and it did like the i suppose the stand-up equivalent of that is like when somebody comes up to you after a gig and they say you know i i thought that was that joke was really funny versus when someone comes up to you after a gig and they go the way you wrote that joke, like the way that you sort of peppered it in the beginning, it's like scientific. That's fucking like yeah. there's a real mechan like also observational yeah. humor means that people can relate to it. It's different from being funny. There's two very different things. Being funny is telling a a knock knock joke. Observational humor is things that people can relate to yeah. and they can empathize to in the same way that they can with humor. You've just described something in my life. Right, and you've just made me realise how strongly yeah. I feel about that something which maybe I hadn't picked up on before. So therefore, done your job as an sure, observational sure. humorist, and I, I think that's the, like, the point I'm, thing as I'm well. getting to. Uh, is so, have you considered that? You know, if the music thing doesn't work out, would you go down the comedy route? Would it also tick the box for you? It hasn't worked out, and it most it most likely won't. And I have considered. I have considered doing stand-up and I've considered doing stand-up and I've considered writing a load of stuff that I at least would find funny. And then I've thought to myself, what if on the day of my gig, I don't feel like doing it? Because the thing about writing songs, right? The thing about writing songs is you can write in in an emotional bubble. So you can revisit that bubble whenever. If you don't feel like being funny, then you then then forget it. Like if you're like if you're like I can't fucking get out of bed today, but I have to stand in front of however well, many people and try like and be you funny. Don't really then ever you, feel, like, I, no. don't, I don't know what your mornings and, and mental health situation are like, but I've never had a gig on the cards where I've been like, I definitely don't want to do this. Like there's been times where I've been like, oh, I'm hungover. I could really have done without this tonight. Yeah. But there's I I'll always do it because I know that. When it goes yeah. well, it's just like being hungover. Being hungover is is really? the best prelude to a gig. I promise you, if you're hungover and you've had a, a hard <laughs> night in inverted a, a good yeah. night the night before, then you're going to explode on stage. 
because the adrenaline, the adrenaline actually just comes and it. The adrenaline is so much more effective when you're in that kind of um, downward state. The adrenaline comes in and it kind of takes over, and that's that's a brilliant thing. So um, yeah. being hungover is not an excuse, young Adrian. Anyway, my phone is now on yeah, 4% man. battery and my charger is not Yeah, working, thank you so, so much for joining me uh, this evening. And um, this. yeah, if anyone's uh, interested in, and they want to check out uh, Microdance's um, uh, work, then it's on uh, bandcamp.microdance or microdance.bandcamp? The microdance.bandcamp.com. Boom. Where you will get 46 songs that aren't Spotify. But go to Spotify if you want. And my recommendation to you, if you're going to check out the Microdance, listen to 10 songs don't just listen to one because there's you know like you need to it we, we had clash magazine once say about us they're a five listen band right you need to listen to them five times and yeah. the reward will be massive so like what i always say to people is go and listen to the songs if it's a seven minute song you don't get it the first time but you think it might be okay listen yeah. to it yeah again please listen to it again uh and and if you, I don't expect anyone who enjoys our music to have any obligation to buy it. Sure. But if you do listen sure. to us on Spotify, please give us a follow. Good. That's yeah. That's a very minor ego boost. Yeah. Which we all need so often. Anyway, Aid. Thank you've you. Been, I enjoyed this very much. We should meet up face to face sometime <laughs> soon. Hopefully without you? Stuart there. Uh, yeah, I'll let you know next time I'm in London. I'm usually up every every week or every other oh. week. So um, yeah, let's do a beer. It's for contact to me then when you've been up every week, every I'm other week for guy. the last however many nice. years. Thanks for that, hey. Yeah. All right. Take care, mate. I Thank really you so much again. I appreciate all the love. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye, man. Once again, thank you to Alex Keevil from the Microdance for joining me for this hour on a Friday night. And apologies to anyone who was slightly irked by the sinking issues um, listening to that, where it may have sounded like we were talking over one another. Um, this is their new single, Kid Got Luck, playing us out. Um, do go and check out their stuff on Bandcamp. And I will catch you guys next week for the next episode of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Yeah.